Welcome to this week's edition of the Contact Centre podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Mitchell, and I'm the Features Editor here at Call Centre Helper. In this episode, we'll be looking at the topic of how can you create a happy culture of positive people with Dan Moros, the Director of Customer Experience at online business design and printing company, Moo. Dan started off his career as a contact centre advisor, but has worked his way all the way up the contact centre ladder. This means that he has an understanding of the challenges that everyone faces in creating the ideal contact centre culture. So, without further ado, let's listen to what advice he has for us. You know, you can train for skills, but you can't really train for behaviours. So making sure that you're hiring people that are going to be a really good fit with your team and with your kind of organisation's values. 50% of what you do needs to be powered by the team. You know, no one likes to be forced to have fun by someone else. In the same way that you would survey your customers and determine, you know, what parts of your service you should improve or what new features to add, I think you have to do that with the contact centre. This episode of the Contact Centre podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omnichannel customer experience and contact centre solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis Pure Cloud contact center platform, visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo. Good culture starts with hiring the right people. So what kind of recruitment lessons uh, have you picked up at Moo? So I think there's some kind of simple rules that we try and follow at Moo. The first one is around the speed at which you hire. And we have a phrase that we use across the business, not just in the contact center, which is to hire slow and fire fast. I think quite often businesses are quick to kind of get bums on seats, which means that you're maybe compromising the quality of people that you've got. So we want to make sure we spend the right amount of time getting the right person. And then equally, if it's not working out, to make sure that we kind of you know, rectify that situation as quickly as possible. The second, and I apologize for the slightly blue language, is that it's better to have a hole in your team than an a-hole, which kind of sits with the first one as well. You know, it's, again, I think a constant kind of checking yourself to make sure that you're not hiring quickly just to fill a role because you have an opening. But actually, it's much more important to make sure that you have the right person. So those are two just kind of really quick rules or phrases that we use at me. But then following on from that, I think as we've grown, you know, we really try to make sure that we're hiring to our values. You know, you can train for skills, but you can't really train for behaviors. So making sure that you're hiring people that are going to be a really good fit with your team and with your kind of organization's values, you can't teach those things. So once you've nailed that and you've got the right person in the door, you know, you can train them for the skills that you want to have within the team. So that's really important. And I think finally, as you're really starting to scale the team, making sure that you design essentially like a repeatable process so that, you know, as the contact center grows or as people get promoted into more managerial roles, you want to make sure that the new blood is hiring to the same standards and in the same way as maybe the more senior members of staff. I think quite often in a fast growing contact center or one where there's, you know, a lot of hiring going on, you find that there's inconsistency across different people that are doing the hiring. 
So having that stuff written down and, and really hashed out and agreed across all of the hiring managers is really important. And again, we've got you know scorecards and different things to help us do that. And it all ties back to our values and behaviors, really. Yeah, I was going to ask from um, what you just said there is whether you kind of have the traditional one-to-one interviews or do you perhaps have open days for new recruits to kind of assess these values in person? So we still tend to have one-to-one interviews. Sometimes it's more a two-on-one. But generally speaking, that's more a consequence of how many roles we might have to fill at one time and how many, you know, potentially qualified applicants we have. In other areas, you know, close to the customer service unit, but also, I guess, a contact center role in the sales team, sometimes we spin out whole sales units at one time. And sometimes we do with those do what we might call like an assessment center or an assessment day, which would be kind of an open day where we bring a bunch of different people. But typically, from a customer service standpoint, just because of the needs that we have and the speed at which we're hiring, it ends up being one-to-one. Excellent. And I think it's quite interesting. There's some brilliant points there about key tips for recruiting the right people. But in their first kind of week or so, it's hard for anybody to start a new job. So what kind of do we do to welcome new employees into the contact center? Well, I think actually tying on to your question about open days and assessment centers, one of the things that we've tried to do recently, and it's hard, again, based on how many hires you're making, is to try and bundle hires to start on the same day. You know, if you've got one person starting one week and another person starting the next, you can kind of get your training out of kilter. So you get a lot of economies of scale of having a bunch of new starters on the same day can really be very beneficial to your training program. And then we have a bunch of, once people do start at Moo, we've got a bunch of kind of Moo-wide things to help welcome people to Moo. And then we have some contact center-specific stuff. So if I just stay on the Moo-wide stuff, we've got a number of different intro workshops that is mandatory for any new starter at Moo to attend. And that includes an intro to the brand, an intro to the technology and product team, an intro to the customer, which goes through essentially why customers are important, what different types of customers we serve. Then they also have a half-day warehouse manufacturing tour where they can actually go and see our product being produced and manufactured. And then as we get, I think once a quarter, we take all new starters and they have lunch with our CEO, which is a really, really informal, it's almost just like a round table. And there can be anywhere up to like 20 or 30 people in those lunches. Lunch is catered by Moo, so we bring lunch in for everybody Uh, Richard, who's the CEO, does give kind of like a history lesson about how he started Moo, why he started it, the mistakes he made along the way, talking about some kind of seminal moments, I guess, in Moo's history. But it also just gives people the opportunity to get to know him, ask questions like it's very informal. And that really helps to give people this feeling of being part of the bigger picture which is great, especially for the contact center folks who maybe can typically feel a little removed, especially from the C-suite. And then from a customer service specific side, we have like a dedicated onboarding program, which has a lot of training, you know, a detailed training schedule, but there's lots of other bits kind of dotted in to help get people feeling at home. So we have, and I'm probably going to get this slightly wrong, but we have something called One Fact, Two Lies, where all new starters have to submit three facts one will be true and two will be a lie and then in our weekly or fortnightly team meeting we kind of do a bit of a quiz about the new starter we don't have any weird like induction things where we make people stand on a chair and sing a song but we do encourage those new starters to kind of share information about them and get to know their team better 
their training schedule will be a mix of kind of classroom quizzes and learning mixed in with kind of on the job training lots of shadowing but really you know we just try to do as much as possible to make them feel both welcome and part of the culture as much as uh, part of the team that's actually performing it's as much about the work as the culture yeah absolutely i think it's great to hear all these kind of real life examples for actually kind of breaking the ice because i know if you're kind of fitting into a culture as a new employee and it can all be a bit daunting on your first few days but i think uh, one key thing that really stood out for me there was kind of getting people into groups as well so they all kind of join in together so there's that sense of camaraderie already which is great and it'll be great to hear even kind of more examples of what you do at Moo uh, past that and what you do to improve advisor development both in the contact center and for their wider career. Sure so I think typically I think it's a three-month probationary period when someone joins Moo and it used to be actually that our onboarding training was around that long we've actually kind of managed to reduce that by having a dedicated team that's doing that training. But once they are onboarded fully and they're answering phone calls and live chats and they're responding to emails, there's still a huge amount more for them to learn, both, like you said, within the contact center, but also skills that they might want to apply elsewhere. I mentioned before, we've got a full-time kind of training and enablement team and they provide coaching. So during kind of quality reviews or one-on-ones if we're identifying opportunities for that person to improve in a specific type of problem maybe they deal with with customers they're not so hot on or maybe they want to learn how to take some escalations and they want some training there's tons of different it sounds really formal but i would say like components to the training regime that we have at moo and it's about identifying which of those components fit best with the employee at different times and that's kind of available forever you know you can redo as many of those components as you like on top of that we do actually i must say i'm not sure exactly how this works today in the contact center probably a little bit removed but we do actually have like a learning and development budget at moo that that's kind of a pot of money a virtual pot of money probably not a real pot of gold but for team members to utilize on request essentially so if there was a conference or a specific skill you wanted to go to or achieve and there was a specific training thing you could do externally then it's just a question really of speaking to their line manager and we'd do everything we can to make that a reality there's only so far i guess you can go in giving people skills that are not relevant to their current job but if there are things that they're passionate about to develop in their own career you know we do our best to support those as long as it wasn't contradicting their current kind of path and then something move wide that we've actually rolled out in the last kind of year year and a half is a sounds really grown up but like a career development program which takes every single department essentially works out what the different levels within each department are and they would be able to sit you'd be able to look across all of the company at the different levels and how they match up and then with each level and within each career family or job family there'll be a bunch of different capabilities kind of core capabilities or expert capabilities or subject matter expertise so that anyone in their current role can look at you know let's say i'm working in the contact center and i want to work in the engineering team I can look at what level I'm currently on and I can see what other levels are next to or just above mine in another department, say engineering. And then I can look at what capabilities I might need to develop or what behaviors I have to exhibit if I was to even consider being able to move either into that department or up a level in my current department. So we've kind of tried to paint this kind of snakes and ladders picture so people can see 
where the ladders are and what skills they need to develop in order to climb them. But where that's kind of manifested itself in the best possible way historically was probably actually before we had that really developed career pathing framework. And a lot of it involves secondments and actually people cutting their teeth in other roles while still in a contact center job. We had someone who is in the contact center kind of supervisor-ish level who went and did a secondment in the engineering team. He worked there for, I think, three months. And at the end of it, they said, well, we'll give you a job. So he moved into that department. And we've had people move into IT and desktop support. Obviously, there's lots of similar capabilities in that role as there is in the contact center. Lots of people moving over into sales, which obviously has lots of complementary capabilities. But in order to make that jump, they had to develop additional capabilities that they would have seen by looking at those career development paths. I think that's great. I think so often you kind of talk to contact centers and they kind of talk about a progression path, but it's very informal. So to hear that you've kind of mapped out those capabilities and uh, those skills and told advisors kind of what exactly they need and it's very clear what they need to do to kind of become skilled in that area. I think that's great. I think there are two things I want to add. The first is it's one thing to try and I really want to emphasize the word try and plot out those things and share them with people it's another to really put them into action like it's a very difficult task and even once someone has started to try and develop some of those capabilities that doesn't mean kind of the next role or a promotion is a you're a shoo-in you know it's all about supply and demand essentially if there aren't any roles available then there aren't any roles so i think you have to temper all of this optimism with a dose of harsh reality which is you know, if we've got 75, 80 people in the contact center, there might only be five open roles at any one time at Moo in another department. So not everyone's going to get the opportunity. And even if you do spend the time learning new skills and capabilities, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to find a new role. So I think there's almost like another strand of all of this, which is about kind of open and honest two-way communication and really giving them a dose of reality to kind of set realistic expectations. Yeah, I think as well that by kind of having such an actionable kind of path, you're not only increasing the chances of them getting another job within Moo though, but you're kind of enhancing their overall employability, which obviously you want to keep your best people, but you're providing them with the skill set to kind of go out and they'll be thankful for that. For sure. I think it's probably something that in the old years, in the old days probably wasn't so normal but i definitely feel think and hope Moo feel similarly that we just want what's best for every individual whether it's staying at Moo or not and where people want to develop skills that they might want to utilize externally you know that's just as valuable to us the story that they'll tell people the people they might refer to come and work at Moo from that experience is massive and I kind of think on that subject of kind of bringing kind of the best out of employees, you need kind of the best environment. And I guess that comes back to kind of bringing fun into the call center. What have you found at Moo works really well in terms of kind of bringing that atmosphere of fun? Yeah, I mean, I think there's lots of trials and varying levels of success when it comes to this stuff. I think what we found is you know, I don't know what percentage, but let's just say 50% of what you do needs to be powered by the team. You know, no one likes to be forced to have fun by someone else. So we've tried to really empower the teams to come up with some of the things that they think are fun. 
and that's you know really simple things like giving teams a monthly budget for social activity you know for going out or playing games or whatever and then not just giving the budget but then actually passing the baton to different people every time to organize what that activity is so we have for example in the uk contact center there's a monthly social and each time it's a different two people in the contact center that own you know picking the date picking an activity and it's all sorts of things from 10 pin bowling to escape room to even just going and eating pizza and drinking beer but just giving them the power to decide what it is that they want to do and then on top of that we obviously have a whole load of kind of top down but mainly probably based on feedback from the contact center agents things like we have a bunch of different games and fun activities during really busy periods which sounds a little bit counterintuitive but it's really just to keep them alive uh, and kicking during a period where they probably do feel like they're kind of tied to their desks and we have things like buzzword bingo we used to have a game called guess who which was essentially like the game guess who but with contact center agents as the people we have other fun games and activities during sale periods like happy hours and stuff like that then we've also got really much more formal things like rewards and recognition programs and we have two really interesting parts of this the first is peer-to-peer nominations so people can nominate their colleagues for kind of outstanding service or helping either to customers or to colleagues so you get these peer-to-peer nominations and people are picked as winners and i can't remember the exact prize but i think it's probably like amazon vouchers we do also have some more kind of informal rewards which are around our wheel of wow which i must say i think is actually currently out of action but this is i think we bought it on amazon it's a spinny wheel like the wheel of fortune and on every piece of the pie is a different thing you can win. And it was things as simple as half an hour to play pool with a friend or table tennis, you know, a free bottle of wine or an extra half an hour for lunch or go home early an hour. So lots of kind of really small little things, but quite valuable if you are, you know, answering the phone all day. And then the icing on the cake is something called the passport program. And we actually stole this from our sales counterparts. And this is people can self-nominate. They write an, a written application about why they want to win the passport program for that specific, I think it's every quarter or every half year. And what they win is they can go and work in another Moo office of their choice. So they could go to the US and work in our Denver office, or they could go to the US and work in our East Coast office. And that, again, is a really nice kind of perk. And really just, again, there's lots for them to learn by going to see another moo culture but also just another culture you know a lot of our u.s colleagues for example have very seldom come to the uk so that's often a really big draw yeah i think it's i think there's so much variation there and those incentives for fun uh, that you suggested and it's especially poignant for me because i've recently kind of come across a few contact centers who've told me they've said that they've offered incentives before for a few weeks just to kind of get teams through the busy periods and at the end of the busy periods, it was no longer an incentive and it was kind of an expectation. Yeah. Is this a kind of problem that you'd come across and kind of actively combated? I think so. And I think that's, you know, like I said before, even though some of these have been mandated by the management, it's all based on what feedback they get from the team. So we might get to, you know, the end of this year, we're always kind of in the same way that you would survey your customers and determine you know what parts of your service you should improve or what new features to add i think you have to do that with the contact center and there is this kind of inflation i guess but maybe it's about keeping it fresh 
So maybe it's not just that they might think that something is now table stakes, but that something could change and that could, you know, delight them more than the old thing. So I think keeping it fresh and making sure you've always got something on the go is important. But yeah, I guess you could say the same about any perk, you know, like you could say once someone's got one pay rise, they're just always looking for the next pay rise. And it, it is kind of true. It's about trying again, I guess, to temper expectation. When this all leads back to under promise and over deliver and kind of making sure that people have the right expectations. It's definitely true from a customer experience standpoint, you want your customers to have the right expectations and you want to exceed them or at least delight them by meeting them. And I think it's the same for employees. But I think businesses and contact centers more so need to do a good job of grounding people in the reality is the realities of their job and their workspace to make sure that they are delighted when things are better than what they expect. Does that make sense? Yeah, indeed it does. And I think one of those kind of realities that advisors can kind of become frustrated with sometimes and that kind of impacts on the culture is the tools and systems that a contact center has, which can be a real source of advisor frustration. What kind of tools and systems have you implemented to kind of help to improve culture? Again, like we try to listen to what our agents tell us. And there are sometimes opportunities to make quick gains by improving specific bits of tech. I think the biggest pain points tend to be the most cumbersome pieces of technology, unfortunately. I mean, just going, I go back like eight or nine years, and we used to use, I don't want to like name drop and badmouth a piece of technology, but we used to use like one of the biggest sales management tools in the world for our contact center. And we only had four or five agents, and it was abundantly clear that it was not pleasant to use. There was too many clicks. It was a really big pain point. And it was damaging people's morale, but it was also inefficient and slow and costly. So we dropped that system. We went to a new one. But that was a massive overhaul. And at that point, there was, like I said, only like five or six agents. Now we're 80 agents across two or more locations. Moving that kind of big system would be a really big task. That said, we've done a lot of work to kind of iterate within the systems that we have. So rather than unplugging and plugging in a new one kind of just giving the pig some lipstick if you like trying to improve things so we use disparate systems to we kind of tried to pick a best in class and stitch different bits together and where we found pain points in potential lack of visibility between two channels or two systems we've tried to do our best to build kind of small improvements to the agent desktop to make some of that easier but on top of that we do have two bits of technology that we've one that we implemented about two years ago and one that actually as a company we implemented a couple of probably about four years ago so the one we've done in the contact center is a quality assurance tool called maestro qa and that is less for the agents and actually more for the supervisors so we were using a mess of spreadsheets and third-party software to try and listen to calls and score them and the tech just wasn't working and the amount of heavy lifting that the supervisors had to do was meaning they had less time to actually sit and help their agents, you know, uh, and give them feedback and coaching. They spent too much time kind of in the weeds. What Maestro does, again, it brings all of that kind of into Zendesk. It plugs directly in. So you can go into Maestro and pull up, you know, I want five random interactions from this channel and it will serve them up. And then you can score them right there. And then once they're scored, you can 
look at that ticket in Zendesk and see the score. So they're kind of interwoven together. So that's been massively useful for the supervisors and I think probably in turn been useful for agents uh, and certainly improved their... It's hard, right? That doesn't really improve the culture, but it definitely improves morale and engagement. Well, I think, as you said, it kind of gives the people who are in charge of quality more time with the advisors and that helps to kind of build more of a learning culture. Absolutely. Instead of kind of, yeah. I was just going to say the other thing that we implemented at a company-wide level, we have a piece of software called Small Improvements. It's what we use for 360-degree feedback and performance reviews, but it has another element built in, which is essentially recognition. So you can award or give a shout out to any member of staff in the organization and award them a specific badge, like a fake digital badge. And each badge, like we have badges, one badge for each of our company values, but there are also other things just like great teamwork or went above and beyond or delighted a customer or whatever. And that allows, you know, without monetary reward, or even kind of having to get up on a sandbox and stand there and shout out for someone, you can really quickly kind of fire off praise and recognition to other members of staff. And that certainly helps build that culture of kind of continuous feedback and recognition. Excellent. And I know kind of one other um, key uh, part of Moo that has really helped to build the great culture you have there is an initiative you have called Customer Experience Liaisons. How does this uh, initiative work and how can it help to improve the culture? So I think I'll tell you a little bit about it, how it works, but I will say I think this is less about how this initiative can improve culture, but more what it stands for. And in a nutshell, employee culture or work culture is just about how well we all get on and interact and work together, essentially, as far as I'm, that's the way that I think about it. And what customer experience liaisons sought to do was actually address a cross-functional working problem, a collaborative problem that we had between the contact center and the rest of the organization. As is common in most kind of semi-large businesses, you know, we're about 600 people in total at Moo now, but we probably started it when we were close to 400. You have the contact center is kind of can be the last thought of the rest of the organization. So you might have a group working on developing a new feature for your website or a new product or a new service that you're going to offer and typically you know maybe the director of customer experience or or the director of customer service knows it's happening but actually making sure that the agents know it's happening are prepared for it and feel involved was often missed out and didn't happen enough so what we sought to do was take one or two customer service agents we gave them this kind of interim non-official title of customer experience liaisons and we inserted them into these working groups that were working on new services products and features and it served as two things it's kind of a two-way communication benefit the first is the customer service agent the cx liaison is representing the customer and the contact center so they are providing information about you know if they're talking about some features that are going to be part of the new product the liaison can give feedback on, well, I think this is going to cause a load of contacts in the contact center. This is what customers are likely to say they don't like about it. Or in my experience, I hear a lot of comments about this. Maybe we could change this feature to do that instead. So giving that, representing the customer in the contact center. And then the second, which was not the original intention, but actually becomes, I think it's almost more important than the first thing that I mentioned, is that it gives that 
liaison the opportunity to take back all of the things that they saw happen in that working group and take it back to the contact center so that everyone who's on the phones or on chat or on email knows what's going on they know what's coming we can talk about it as a group we can identify new training we need to do or new content we need to write in the faqs it just means that we're all part of the same initiative so that's really valuable to make sure we're building the right thing outside of the contact center because it's had customer input but also that the customer service team are equipped and ready for the new thing that's going to come and the output of that really simply is much better relationships between the two parts of the organization the contact center and the rest you know the us and the them and it lets agents work on things that they wouldn't otherwise do i think Probably one of the hardest things as a contact center agent is just the boredom that's associated with sitting and doing the same thing every day on repeat. Getting away from your desk, even if it's just for half an hour or an hour a week, conversing with people who you know, operate in a slightly different part of the business, maybe have a, a different culture within that part of the business, get to experience that. And it's part of career development, I guess, that level of involvement. And the final consequence, and again, I say this is more important for the contact center culture than anything, is that CS has become more of a key component as we do things. You know, at the kickoff of a project, now customer service is on the list, whereas in the old days, it was, it's going live tomorrow, do you think we should tell the contact center? Now they want the customer service agents to be involved. You know, they value their ideas. They want their input during the exploration phase rather than kind of just expecting them to sweep up the pieces once something happens. Yeah, I think it's great that you have kind of all these opportunities for um, advisors to explore other areas of the business. I mean, you go into so many contact centers where kind of the only contact they have with the outside business is kind of a video message from the CEO every certain amount of months. So it's uh, great to hear that kind of there's so many opportunities for kind of advisors to kind of travel around. And I guess that helps to bring the voice of the customer into other areas of the business as well, which is an important part. Yeah, I think, I mean, one thing I do want to kind of add a caveat, like giving these sort of updates and telling stories about all the good things is very much, it's all the good stuff. Like, you know, not all of this stuff works all of the time and sometimes things don't always go to plan, but you can only put your best foot forward and try to come up with initiatives that really symbolize and address the needs of your people and the business and some of the stuff sticks and stays. Sometimes they have, you know, peaks and troughs. And, you know, CX Liaisons, as I said, I think we've been doing it for two years. It's had stuttering moments. You know, we started it with a big bang. It went really well. A few people leave. You know, the direction of specific working groups might change and people drop out. And then you kind of have to light a new fire to get it going again. So they're not one-hit wonders. You can't just set them up and then just expect them to happen. You really have to pay attention to them, nurture the program, nurture the initiative. And if it starts to fail, either stop it quickly and start something else or kind of light the fire underneath it and get it back on track. Excellent. I think, yeah, that's all uh, really great insight. Thanks for uh, sharing this all with us, Dan. Is there any um, place our listeners can come follow you on social media? Yeah, I think probably the best place is LinkedIn. Just search for Dan Moros or Daniel Moros and you'll find me. I'm always willing to chat with people over coffee or over the internet in some way. So if you want to ask any questions or whatever, just look me up. 
That's all for this episode. Thank you, Dan Maros from Moo, for joining us today. This episode of the Contact Centre podcast is sponsored by Genesis. Genesis is the global leader in omnichannel customer experience and contact centre solutions. More than 11,000 companies in over 100 countries trust the Genesis customer experience platform to help them connect effortlessly with consumers across any channel, voice, text, web chat, and social. If you would like to see a demonstration of the Genesis Pure Cloud contact center platform, visit callcenterhelper.com forward slash demo. Next week on the Contact Center podcast, we'll be looking at the topic of improving first contact resolution with Neris Caulfield from Injection Consulting. The Contact Center podcast is produced by Call Center Helper, the leading contact center magazine. You can subscribe to our podcasts or give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. You can also access our entire range of podcasts through the Call Center Helper website by visiting callcenterhelper.com forward slash podcasts.